Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Bradley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show Inside the Ropes, episode number 128. As it all starts to just gear up here in this wonderful country of ours, our summer of golf just around the corner, the Oz Open three weeks away, the President's Cup not long thereafter, the PGA Championship as well. We've got a lot to look forward to. Richard Forsyth, the director of courses, we used to call them supers back in the day at Royal Melbourne, is going to join us a bit later on to tell us about all the stuff going on down at RM in the... Um, Build up to the President's Cup. Dowie Choi is going to join us as well. Wouldn't be the show without Mark Hayes. He is here. Hello, Hazy. G'day, Murray. Lovely to see you. And you. Looking forward to speaking to Richard Foy and Dowie, of course, because she's obviously somebody who you've kept a special interest on. I know you've got a great, um, you've got a great interest in and affection for the young amateurs that are coming through, boys and girls in Australia, uh, and the prospects for them beyond where they're at here and now, but the job they're doing here and now for Australian golf. That's exactly right. And we'll talk a bit about some of the recently turned pros in the European tour, tour school, mm. um, Q school, I should say, a little later on as well. But, yeah, no, I've got a big eye on, on what some of the kids coming up are doing and, and the paths they take. It would be nice if we could find some sort of, you know, diamond-encrusted path to professional yeah. glory because I reckon our amateurs are the best in the world. We've just got to make sure that we, you know, translate that into what they want it to be for their pro career. So Dowie's a good example of what's coming through. You know, what? this wasn't going to be my starting point, but now that you've, you've done that, I might as well make it. Mm. It's not to – this is the truth of anything in life, but the closer you get to the peak, the harder it gets. Absolutely. And you look at what's going on over in the Corn Ferry Tour Q School at the moment. We're into the final stage now. And you look at some of the players who haven't made the final stage, the quality of some of these people that haven't made the final stage, people who have won on the PGA Tour – this 17-year-old kid, that, that Ashkay Bhatia, who decided not to go down the college rank, the lefty, turned pro, he hasn't made the final stage. Mm. Davis Love's kid, Drew, he hasn't made the final stage. The Lydnia the players who have fallen over at the second last stage just to get on into the final stage of the Q School of the secondary tour yeah. in America, it is tough. Yeah. People often question, you know, say, say about Australian golf, Oh, back in the glory days, you know, we had seven or eight guys in the top hundred in the world, and and uh, you know we don't seem to have that anymore, and the, that's true, that's absolutely true, but we've now instead of got instead of having four, five, ten dominant countries, now we've got forty or fifty oh, yeah, spitting out jets, yeah. and they a lot of them are, um, are processed through the American collegiate system, and they're they're hardened by the time they get out there. We're seeing that on the big tour at the moment. Yep. Um, the depth now, the, the the top end, the top end is the, the top end is the top end. Jack Nicholas yep. would have been comparable with Tiger Woods, 
we've we've talked about uh, Sam Snead, etc. The top end is the top end through every generation, I believe. It's what's underneath yeah. is, is just next level now. There's no big tumble once you get to 40 in the world rankings. Oh no, Jesus. on either side, men's no. or women's. It's just it's just brutally competitive. Um, harder than it's ever been to make a crust out of touring golf. Yep. Well, you look at you look at the quality of the players that and we'll we'll get to this later. We'll we'll have our final say on the captain's picks and you look at the the where some of the players that Ernie was choosing from, like particularly the yeah. the two just look at the two Canadians. Yeah. I mean these guys are making bucket loads of cash. They are contending week in, week out, or certainly finishing they're making cuts and finishing top twenty five more often than not, these two blokes. But they're they're they are mid-ranked rated by from a PGA sort of final 125 yep. perspective. They're, 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 not, they're just ahead of the middle of the field, but they're not knocking the door. They're not household name guys. That, that's how tough it is mm. in the world of pro golf at the moment. And you look at the, the, some of the guys who have got through to the final stage in Corn Ferry. Brooke kept, Brooks kept his brother. There's some strong family links here. Chase Kepka's got through. Derek Ernst, who's won on the PGA Tour. Spencer Levine, who was a regular PGA Tour member, back into the final stage. Tommy Ganey, back into the final stage. Lexi's two brothers, final stage. Danielle Kang's brother, final they haven't they, they haven't even got their card on the Corn Ferry Tour. These guys have got to the final stage of the secondary tour. They've got it all to play for now That's right. just to get a job. So that they can hopefully get to where they all want to go, the depth just in it, and that's just America. Yeah, that's forgetting every other tour on every other continent all around the world. And we, you know, we'll talk about it. The Q schools, as I said, the European Tour Q schools already gone through stage one, four stages of stage two, four different events. Now we get up to the real big one, where the lesser big boys come back and uh, yeah. inform wannabes push up. And there's 156, I think it is. For twenty five and ties into the into the bottom end to get you know not full, full status, status no, of the no. European tour, it's just brutal. And then you know got the Asian tour coming yeah. forward and it's becoming a powerhouse. And we regularly talk about the Japanese tour and you can see two tours in China and that's not to mention our own domestic tour, yeah. Latino America and Mackenzie. It, it's really tough on the men's. The women's uh, unfortunately hasn't got that depth, but it's it it too is getting harder and harder to you know to break into the top. 20 or 30 in the world. That's why we have so much respect and make reference to so regularly to Minji Lee and Hannah Green and Suo. Uh, it, it's hard work. It's genuinely hard work. And especially when the LET, for example, yeah. um, doesn't have as many events as it used to, you see some really brilliant European-based players now having to push into those other ranks as well. So, yeah, yeah. yeah it's tough. I, I absolutely agree with what you said about, you know, they're, they're making bucket loads of money. That's true. If you're in the top, 50, 60, 70 maybe in the world, that's that's true. You're, you're making more than you can, you know, know what to do with in yeah, some respects, yeah. especially at the pointy end. But even though there's more money in the game, uh, you know, it, it's harder and harder to make a, a filthy rich living out of it. I think the people ranked 140th in the world, mm. you need to be an outstanding golfer to be 140th in the men's Absolutely rankings. Absolutely you do. Like legit outstanding and and – you know, they're just making ends meet yep. in, in a lot of instances. Yeah, yeah. So um, you mentioned Minji Lee. Let's start doing the, the you know, the, the wrap of the whip around the world. She's done it again. I mean, another top five finish. Finishes six back over in Japan of Suzuki, who streeted them in the end. But, and 
This is real broken record stuff with Minji Liam. Last week or two weeks ago, I lamented the fact. I wondered whether she's getting frustrated with her inability to win. I'm not going to go down that tack this week. Sometimes you just got to stop every now and again and marvel at her ability just to turn up week in, week out and produce. She is, she is a phenomenal, phenomenal player, this girl. Uh, she's now got, by my reckoning, eight top three finishes this year on the LPGA Tour. She, of course, she'd love to have made three course, or four of them that, victories. That's a given, right? Yeah. yeah. But that is <laughs> – I said this to you in another forum. That's worthy of back page recognition on a constant basis if it wasn't um, golf mm. and, and if she wasn't a female – She'd be getting a lot more. Um, mm. They're both blights. The first one's probably on my head as a media manager at Golf Australia, but the second one's a disgrace, as I've maintained all year. Mm-hmm. She's having an a, an historically successful year yep. for an Australian golfer. Men, women's, she's she's becoming legendary for her consistency on that tour. The hard, you know, such a hard tour. The top ten in that tour, they could oh they could you could throw the balls up in the air. They could land in any order and they'd all be a worthy number one. Yep, spot on. And she's more than capable of holding her own as doing so brilliantly. So, yeah, just hats off to her. I I couldn't be more proud of the way she stumps up every week. When she finishes 32nd, it's like a massive shock. What's happened this week? Yeah. Yeah. And you you can't think back. um, And apologies to anyone who's tuned in listening to Hoping to Hear Greg Norman. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and we will get to him hopefully in a few weeks. He couldn't, um, his schedule didn't permit today. But not since Greg Norman have we had someone who's regularly put their name into that conversation week in, week out, week in, week out. And I reckon she's doing it more than him, to be honest. It's just not for the extended period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, she, needs, she just needs to be a major. She just needs to add some major success mm. to her CV and it's, and it's complete. There's a challenge here. There's a challenge to corporate Australia here. We've spoken a bit about her, the, the badging and the branding she wears yep. on her bags and her caps and her shirts, and it's heavily Asian influenced. Yep. There's a real challenge here for a big corporate, a big Australian presence corporation to jump on board Minji Lee and use their corporate profile and their um, their suite of marketing related um, exposure. To, to take Minji Lee on board. I would love to see, just pick, I won't even put a name on it, just pick a big Australian, big company that's got a big um, footprint in Australia uh, who's interested in young, elite, great character, female. Seems to tick a lot of boxes to oh, me. I would have thought so. <laughs> I would have thought so. And into burgeoning markets, primarily in Asia. Spot on. Oh. Yep. <laughs> it, it, it really baffles me sometimes. And I, 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 I commend your challenge um i'd like to see a you know a small startup take take the bit between the teeth because i'm sure she'd do it at a discount rate if there was something you know big down the track coming for both of them yep um but back to my point in combining yours you're not going to get a better run for your sponsorship dollar than being on minji lee's shirt or hat or arm or whatever because she's always on telly oh but if if she if you had so whoever this is right yeah if you had have had your, your logo on Minji Lee's visor this week, I'm mm. oh, sorry, for the last three weeks in Asia, how many how many minutes of primetime exposure have you had, in, particularly as you said, if you're, if you're looking to expand into Asia, don't worry about here and don't worry about the States. Think about the amount of time you've seen her uh, on 
television screens in Asia yeah. in a market that is consuming. I don't know what the TV numbers are like for God. They're massive in Japan, and I, I don't know what they're like in countries like Korea and China. Oh, but I imagine level. they're gigantic, yeah, huge. Like in terms of pure numbers, forget about percentage share. Just pure numbers blow Australian numbers out of the water 10, 20, oh, yeah. 30 fold. Imagine the the bang for your buck <laughs> you've got out of Minji Lee the last three weeks. Yeah. That that stuff's often measured in dollars rather than time on air. Uh, I I can't imagine it being anything less than multiple seven figures. Oh yeah, yeah. You so know, opportunity missed. Yeah. 10, you know. 10, 20 million dollars worth of exposure. That's how they uh you know rank that stuff. I'm not that person to be able to do that, but yep. it's it's multiple seven figure million. Yeah, of course dollars. it is. It's just yep. it's it's an opportunity missed, and I, you know, I think she's got years ahead of her. So I still think it's you know she's not on the ground floor anymore, but the opportunity's still there to get on. She's still going places quickly. Likewise, in fact, here I'll, I'll tell you, here's a and and apologies to others that I'm excluding, but just let's just go with you here and now. Hannah Green and Suo, yep. get the three of them. You could buy Australian women's gold. Get the three of them. Yeah. Do a package deal with those three, yeah. and you are going to get a decade of coverage and exposure out of those three players. Yeah, yeah. Do it. You're preaching to the choir here, Andy. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I can't believe it. I mean, I, I, you know, when it, if you think back one generation here, and, and I'm sure if she's listening, she'd be shaking her head and being equally aggrieved as you and I. Kari Webb was that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she... Other than drum and golf, mm. flip flopped throughout her career with either nothing on her hat or yep. a bizarre thing that no one even knew for a while, or still couldn't arrange it. And I'm just baffled by that because she was that person. Yep. In fact, I probably should have said her instead of Norman because she yep. was always yep. there too. Yep. Um, you know, in the in the mid noughties in particular, she was constantly on our televisions and stuff. When when the whips were cracking, Curry yep. Webb was there. Yep. Uh, and she couldn't generate a sponsor. And I'm, I just don't want to see that happen for this generation. It would be Bad for them, but also bad for a company that's got aspirations. Yep, I, yep. This this is a prime ticket. I don't reckon you could buy much space on Ash Barty at the moment. That ship sailed. Yep. Like she's in everyone's conscience. There's so much upscope here for Minji and Hannah, oh. Hannah and Sue. Just takes a bit of imagination. Um, so well done to her. Hannah was there, just couldn't get it, couldn't carry the third round into yeah. the final. Sue was chipping away again. So, you know, they continue to they continue to do – what they need to do is young professional golfers. Yeah, I love Hannah's yep. season as well. Yeah, epic. Yep. I just we sh- you mentioned the winner who was Ai Suzuki. Holy hell! Yeah, this is a girl who's won five times, I think, on the Japan LPGA yeah. this year. Yeah, um, she's won previously, you know, around the world, but she's not a member again of the LPGA. So the third non-member to win and have have to make this decision. Um, what a player. Yeah. I mean, if that's how, what she trots out in Japan every week, no wonder we haven't got Karis Davidson in the winner's circle just yet. <laughs> it's exactly. Holy cow. It's a tough school. Uh, it was tough in Turkey, six-man playoff. <laughs> um, Eddie Pepperell empties his bag into the water, walks off, does a John Daly at the Daly. 11th at the Lakes. Um, <laughs> the lights were on at the end. There were three-and-a-half-foot putts getting missed. Oh, you, um, and I, you and I uh, differ opinions. No, I've had, look, I'm, I'm sort of been a bit facetious. We were having a chat elsewhere yesterday about – um, the appeal of maybe playing a professional tournament one of these days somewhere in some sort of format under lights, which it'll probably happen. Oh, it it's, really? it'll, it's an inevitability that it'll happen. Of course. Oh, I think it's logistically fraught because of how do you light properly, and I'm not just talking in the middle of the fairway and greens, how do you light rough yep. and across lakes and around corners and whatever else you need to do 
to make judgment calls on a 10 kilometer track yeah, that's, through yeah. the woods. It's, yep. it's, you know, it's logistically brutal, but that said, I think you could light up two or three pretty awesome uh, stadium sort of holes for yep. want, of a bit of a, want of a better phrase. Um, that it, it wasn't probably lit up perfectly, the one in Turkey, but what a spectacle. It was pretty dramatic. Yeah, it I was. mean, you look yeah. back. You, you look back, and I, if I ask people to, you know, recall what happened in the, you know, the European Open or the Portugal Masters or whatever, they struggle to remember something that stands out. But that'll stand out about the Turkish Open, yeah. and I think that's yeah. pretty key in, in, you know, putting something in people's minds. So it's not just another boring seventy-two hole medal play event. And I, I, I keep nagging on about that, but the same applies to tennis, all the sports where it travels around the world in a circus. You need something different and uh, vibrant to make it stand out. Oh, I thought that was fantastic. I don't think it was planned, by the way. No, no, no. I don't think so either. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, hey, we're going to get this thing finished, yeah. turn the lights on. Yeah. The yeah. logistics of running yeah. into Monday yep. were um, more problematic than, you know, playing under fading light. And yep. I know that you said, and rightly, that it's harder to read putts in, you know, in, in, in floodlight than sun, but still the problems of dealing with Monday, Monday finishes, the airline schedules, the accommodation, the TV, everything that goes with it next week's event. Uh, so I'm um, full full credit to the European Tour and the people, the logistics of Turkey, to be able to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. Hey, they all have to play under the same changing conditions yeah. anyway. It's not as if there's form that, you know, Tyrrell Hatton's going to be a better player under floodlights than, <laughs> right. than you know, one of the other blokes who was in the playoffs. So it's, it's – there's no – it's not favouring one over the other. No. They're all being exposed to the same conditions at the same time. How good was Matisse Schwab for – the well, I was going to say seventy-two, but you know, seventy-five holes. Yeah, yep. He was unbelievable. Another great name to look out for. Um, is it Bernd Wiesberger? Is he he just a, keeps. He, he's a very good player, Wiesberger. Yeah, so they're going to be a power Austria in a couple yeah, of years if they've yeah. got these guys coming through. <laughs> um, yeah, but full credit. You know, good on Tyrrell Hatton. He's he's a loose unit, which we love. Uh, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve. The chip, his chip on the. I want to say the first playoff hole. When he was in the first three, because there were two threes of yeah, the six, yep, six yep. men to play, um, he was over the back for two. I don't know if you saw that, Andy, or not, but he he actually went down the slope and ran off the green, and his goose was cooked. Yeah, and he chipped in from well off the green for a birdie four just to keep into the second playoff hole, and that was unbelievable golf. And from then on, it was absolutely sensational. Yeah, no, it was look, it was dramatic, and Hatton's now up to thirty. He's one of the more watchable players. Any any of these guys that play, we, we want. I love seeing the blokes who break the mould a bit, yeah. who play with their heart on. We've spoken about Tyrrell Hatton. I've spoken about Tyrrell Hatton on this show before. I like the ones that their head comes off every now and again. The and, loose units, yeah, I like it. So well done did, to him. Did his his birdie part that would have won the thing. I thought his head was going to. Oh off. yeah, I think he thought it was in. <laughs> I think he thought it had the whole well and truly covered. Hey, look, there's a whole lot of other stuff we want to get through. The old boys, uh, Thailand, Latin America, we'll bring you up to date with where Ruffles at. Uh, a bit of the local stuff. Uh, we'll get to all of that on the way through. Richard Forsyth is going to join us on the other side of the break. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen Listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. 
It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Welcome back to the show. Obviously, uh, in the wake of the captain's picks last week, Hazy, uh, the road to the President's Cup is narrowing. And Quick, quickly. Quickly, very much so. And it's just around uh, the corner now, almost on the doorstep. You can throw whatever uh, cliche you want at it. But I'll tell you what isn't a cliche, and that is the golf course that we're going to be playing at. It's one of the great pieces of golf property in the world. And a man who's charged with the responsibility of getting Royal Melbourne up to the sort of nick and um, capacity to test the world's best the way we know it can is the director of courses at Royal Melbourne, uh, Richard Forsyth, who's been good enough to join us. Richard, thanks for your time. Thanks, Sandy. Thanks, Mark. How busy, if 100% is flat chat, the busiest you can ever be, and zero is asleep, how busy, give us a rating of how busy you are, not just right here and now talking to us, but uh, in, the, in the lead up to the, to the, to the President's Cup. Oh, it always uh, ramps up a bit in terms of what, what's happening around us. So, you know, you sort of, uh, there's a lot going on with the, um, as a truck just goes past me now, um, <laughs> just with uh, all the build of all the, you know, corporate hospitality and the stands and those sort of things. So that's all happening around us, but we're trying to maintain our focus on, on the playing surfaces. But, you know, you've got all this, uh, distraction around you and, you know, they're pegging things into the ground. You've got to mark all your water pipes and underground services and things and try and manage all the trucks and forklifts and personnel that are uh, going about their business uh, on our patch. But, um, yeah, look, it's, it's there's plenty happening. And we've also got the Sandringham uh, course project uh, that's been underway as well with redevelopment there uh, going on. Uh, at the same time. So, yeah, pl- plenty happening. The blokes be... Sorry, Hazy, just just on that before we get away from the forklift drivers and all, do, do those blokes know what golf courses are? Do they know the sensitive patches and <laughs> do they know what a putting surface is compared to, a you know, a, a, the rough? Do you have issues with, with some of those blokes? Oh, you can, but look, they're pretty well schooled. I mean, I'm not sure that they appreciate you know, how important it is not to drive across a fairway or a putting green or they don't appreciate it as much as I do but uh, I think they uh, they get it after a while but uh, no, look, they do events all the time all over the place but uh, yeah golf course is a bit unique in terms of what they've got to watch out for and, and golfers as well that's the other that's thing true, golf's yeah. still happening around them yeah that's that's the thing that I wanted to ask you about was the golf still happening around because presumably now you've been at this for well Probably years, not just months. Like you, well, let's go back to the start. When did you start your President's Cup plan into action, actually happening? Oh, when the announcement was first made, probably, I suppose that's what, two and a half years ago, something like that. Yeah. So the first thing we started with was um, we just had conversations with the tour about, you know, is there any structural changes that they wanted to, to do? Um, because we wanted to get those out of the way quickly so they'd mature and look like they weren't uh, add-ons and things. So we, we did that with some alterations to the what will be the first tee, uh, the 14th tee and the 16th tee, just with some um, um, changed angles and to be able to fit the, the, the stands around and that sort of thing. So that, they're fairly minor, but there was some structural work. Um, we've raised the net height at the end of the practice range because of the, the distance that these guys can hit it with the trajectory and what have you. Um, so, yeah, there's been a bit happening for, for a little while, but then we, we sort of 
program our, our schedule to, to sort of come together at this uh, peak at the right time. So, yeah, it's been been on our mind for, for a little while since it's been announced. So how do you fit normal golfing? Because you've got a, you know, a, a big and proud membership and they have a lot of important guests and you've had tournaments in the interim for that matter. How do you fit it all in? Yeah, well, they, they've got a... Um, you know, we've got to try, and that's one of the things that we take into account with all the uh, infrastructure builders in conjunction with, with, with the tour and, and their program. We try to um, work back from the from the date and, and put the things in that are going to impact most on golf as the last uh, the last things that go in. So um, just this week, we've gone to a uh, sort of a altered configuration on our eighth and ninth west holes because there's there's, there's um, big structure being built on the eighth west holes but that's probably the first one that's really uh, impacted on golf and then progressively there's, there's a couple of more of those as we get closer but um, oh look they that we're managing around that but uh, yeah there's definitely some interruption to, to, to normal golf. How much of your time at the moment Richard is spent wandering around looking for imperfections looking for things that aren't quite right? Oh, look, the job is a lot about observation, so that happens all the time, and unfortunately, it annoys you more when there's something as big as the President's Cup happening when there's things that aren't uh, as you'd like them. So, yeah, you've got to be careful you don't just um, focus on, on those all the time, or you think, you know, the things are, the world's a bad place if you're doing that. Um, so, we like to look at the, the good areas as well, but uh, look, there's, there's there's those, you know, shaded areas, traffic areas, um, little blemishes here and there that, um, you know, we'd like to see a bit better. But you've sort of got to wait for the weather to to turn and um, the season to, to run with you a little bit to get them right. So um, we're hopeful that all those will uh, come together at the right time. But, yeah, we a lot of it's about observation and just sort of watching and feeling, it, you know, touching and feeling the turf a little bit and timing your the things that you do to it to get it uh, in the best place at, at the right time. Do you like the composite course from many different perspectives? I mean, do you think is it a good, the best test of golf? Is it a pain to have some east holes different to the normal, uh, you know, normal east course setup, um, and vice versa for the west as well? Is it torturous to hmm. set them apart? Is it bad for the rest of the club? What, what are your What are your thoughts on actually having the composite course up and running? No, I look at. I mean, it's hard to find a weakness, a weak hole on the yeah. composite course. So, from that point of view, and and it's on the most dramatic land. You know, if you picture the 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 west and the east, the sort of the further away you go from the main uh, clubhouse area or the main paddock, as we like to call it, um, the flatter it gets, and so the the most dramatic holes are on that in that composite um, grouping. So, from that point of view, it's, it's definitely the you know the most um, interesting and you know uh, presents well for television and that sort of thing in terms of the, being those more dramatic looking holes with the undulation and the movement and what have you. So, I think from that point of view, it's good. And yeah, it's just hard to. Um, Certainly, you're going to pick your best 18 out of 36. You, you probably, you know, you've got most of them in that in that composite layout. There's probably two or three others that probably come into the picture, but uh, you've got most of them in that uh, in that composite layout. I think. 
So, all right, I'm going to stop asking Dorothy Dick's questions here. I'm going to ask you the real hard one because we've been talking about how we're going to beat the US for basically since that announcement happened. And I reckon you're the key to it. Bugger, <laughs> bugger Ernie Owls and Tiger Woods. What, 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 what do you reckon? What do you reckon is the best way for the international team to win? And, and have you been instructed to set the course up mm. in a specific way? I guess by Ernie primarily. Well, I'm not sure that I'm the best equipped to answer um, how they're going to, how the internationals are going to win. Um, certainly, if my golf game's anything to <laughs> to judge by. Uh, but look, I, you know, I, I think everyone just it's hard to see how you make an advantage for one or the other. I think the US players are all so good. It's just you know that they're they're um, great players and they'll work out whatever conditions we throw at them. And I, I know, you know that Ernie certainly um, expressed a desire to sort of have some input into how the course is prepared. Uh, and we've taken that on board and basically he said he doesn't want to see anything change and wants it to be presented like the way Royal Melbourne always does. Uh, and that's, you know, not changing fairway widths and not really growing rough and yeah, not yeah. You know, having firmness in the greens and all those sort of things. So, but you know, when you look at the team, probably there's you know there's four Australians that probably know those conditions, but the rest of the international team probably that's not necessarily familiar for them either. So, I'm not sure that the you know the hard and fast uh, scenario is necessarily going to be, be that much of an advantage. So. I'm not sure how you how you set the course up to advantage one team or the other. That's that's the perception though that if you have it firm and bouncy, then it's going to be um, advantage the internationals. But I can't sort of see how that's necessarily true. Maybe the Australians are used to that, but the, the Americans are such good such good players. I think they'll I'll adjust to whatever we uh, throw at them, and that's weather related as well. So we'll do our best to have that firm and you know bounce forward. Uh, reaction on greens and have a bit of fire in them, but it'll be very much weather-related. Richard, we spent a lot of time... We're talking to Richard Forsyth, the Director of Courses at Royal Melbourne. We spent a lot of time on this show talking about integrity of golf course architecture. Well, those who know more about this stuff than I do, I love listening to them talk about the challenges that you know traditional golf courses face because of the distance these blokes hit the ball. Do, do you worry? Do, 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 you, do you have any reaction to players you know hitting the ball into spots at Royal Melbourne that, that they're not in the, the, the original designs not intended to have drives hit into and does it does it offend you when players roll around shooting 60 61 62 on a course that you know is regarded as one of the great tests of world golf uh yes look it's but it's been happening for a while, for a while so. now. Yeah, that's true yeah I mean Ernie um, of course Ernie did it you know Mm, yeah. And progressively getting more so as this next generation come through, and they're you know they're hitting it further, and uh, yeah, it's you, know, you wonder where that's all going to finish. It's 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 difficult, and there's, there's nothing we can do about it here. There's just nowhere to add length, and um, so so really the the importance of that um, firm uh, green surfaces is really even more um, more of an issue. So. You know, there's still some, still some element of the strategy there. If we can have firmness in the greens, if we if we don't have firmness in the greens, then you can hit it anywhere and 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 get, hit it close to the 
to the pin, um, whereas if it's firm and bouncy, then there's still some reward for you know hitting it to the right side of the fairway um, and, and you know not uh, and, and having a strategy about how you plot your way around the course. Mm, but mm. you know if, if it's soft and receptive and you can sort of land it like a, a dart, then it's you know you lose any of that strategy that's um, in the course. So that, that's how uh, I guess that Royal Melbourne continues to sort of um, you know have that uh, strategic uh, element that was there in the original design, how we still see that come into play for even these guys that hit it so so far down the fairway. Uh, so, yeah, but I think being match play, um, we're not sort of so concerned, but uh, mm. the difference with a 72-hole stroke event is that, you know, you'd be... You know, you, you'd be looking at, at the scores and thinking, well, it's not, I, they don't just uh, you know, um, take it apart every day. Uh, and, and I don't think they would if we get wind no, and no. all those sort of things. Uh, we've still got that, and, and the defence of the firmness in the greens, I think, is the key. So, um, you know, I think we're still very relevant. And I, I know the players will love playing here, and uh, even though they won't be having the use the driver that often, uh, it'll still have a, an element of strategy and um, um, you know difficulty for them to, to plot their way around. So I think it'll be a great match play uh, course for the event that it is. You, you might have just answered the question I was going to ask there when you referenced match play, but specific holes, I mean, it's probably best if I do them in west and east for people who know the course. Um, two west and four west, the par fives. Um mm-hmm. Do you worry or do you alter how the greens are set up to reflect that the fact that they're just basically long par fours now or do you just let it go because it is match play? Oh, you just let it go. I mean, really they want they want to see birdies and eagles win holes. I mean, that's gonna be, you know, okay. that's exciting for the for the event. Uh so and there's not much we can do about that really. And yeah. you know, the relevance of pars not 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 a big deal in 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 the in the event this event uh so no i think you just uh, admire the players that, that you know how they how they play the holes and how how they can um, score so uh, you know I, I don't think that's an issue and you know some of the shorter holes are going to be the most exciting holes and see how yeah. they you know, what what decisions do they make in in you know how the match is um positioned and you know do those, one of them might go for the green with the driver and the other might lay back and you know hit him with a full wedge and, and so the, there'll be different different strategies and I think they're some of the most exciting holes and then of course um, you know five west and six west with the, the slope in the greens there's always always oohs and ahs there when mm-hmm. uh, you know balls are um, rolling back and doing doing what they do on those holes um, you know that, so that's it's good viewing there as well so um, yeah I, I don't think the par thing on, on the par fives really really makes any difference for, for this event particularly but um, it's just a matter of admiring the strategy and, and how these the best players in the world uh, handle it. So you've seen a lot of tournaments down uh, in Black Rock there uh, have you seen a bigger setup and that would include the 2011 President's Cup or any Heineken that you've done has there been a bigger physical footprint on the course that is, as much as it's going to be in December? No, I think this is this will be the the biggest um, build out for for a golf event in Australia, um, and you know the the figure is that they're talking about is thirty percent bigger than 
2011. Wow. So if for anyone that was here then, you know, there was a lot of a lot of infrastructure uh, on the course. Then this is uh, 30% bigger build. So if you can picture that, it's it's there's quite a lot of uh, extra area that's covered with um, stands and and um, hospitality areas and things. So. Uh, it, it's it's going to be impressive, uh, and and the type of structures they're building these days, they're almost like you know permanent permanent buildings as glass. You know the, what what we used to call tents. Now they really have glass fronts and you know <laughs> solid walls, and it's it's quite amazing. So uh, it's going to look impressive, and uh, you know we're sort of probably I don't know 45, 50 percent built now, and it's already starting to look pretty. Uh, pretty amazing so uh, I think it's you know come um, the second week of December it's going to look pretty pretty uh, pretty good good so more importantly and last one before we do let you get back to work how is the course actually looking yeah I think we're we're in a good position you know I, we we're trying to obviously present a golf course that's um, shows how we do it here in Australia not um, not not a US uh, model, but uh, where we're you know so we're working on um, you know having the rough you know contrasting with the with the playing surfaces. Um, as I said, working on our firmness in, in our in, in all surfaces really. So that's um, that's a timing thing and trying to get it to uh, come together um, for the week. So, uh, but yeah, look, things are in a, in a good place. As I said before, it's just those little. Uh, Areas in the where it's been shaded, or there's been a lot of traffic mm. and divots and things that we sort of just need another two or three weeks of um, uh, growth to get those uh, where we want them to be. But I think it's going to come together well, and it's going to um, and the build out and everything, the whole the whole package is going to be uh, worth seeing. So for anyone who's coming along, uh, I think uh, they'll, they'll have a great experience to to see the place. Um, Set up the way it is, and hopefully we get the right weather for the week, and we can really uh, have some bouncy, fiery putting surfaces, and um, yeah, and everyone can uh, see the, how the best players in the world tackle it. So that's my last question going to be: You say fiery, what's that number going to equate to on the stint meter? You know, when I say fiery, I mean more um, bouncy yep. than than speed, but that sort of that goes with it as well. But um, you know, we've got to work with the um, the PGA Tour agronomy uh, and rules people, and so they're very, um, you know, they certainly respect what what we say and what we do, but they've, they've sort of set a number that they don't want to go any higher with with stint meter speeds, but it's sort of in that you know twelve and a half, thirteen sort of speed. But you know, sometimes that's very hard to sort of just yeah. you know. Set a number and predict what it'll be. It's you know you get you get to a point in the morning and set the course and then if it dries out and you get those sort of you can get those sort of southerly sort of winds that uh, dry things out and it's not too hot then the moisture gets taken out of the surface and the and the speed can get up a little bit um, from there. But look, very much weather related. But we'll be working with them to um, you know present the course in the best possible condition to um, and for the players to uh, apply their their craft. So, um, but yeah, weather's going to have a big 
big influence on, on how we do it. Richard, we can't wait. We can't wait to get down there. We can't wait to see the players. We can't see, wait to see the competition. And we can't wait to see the golf course. Um, good luck in the last month to you and your staff. And we appreciate you joining us on the show. Thanks for your time. All right. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate Thanks, it. Richard. Richard Forsyth, Thanks Director of Courses at Royal Melbourne. They're the ones who got the big task of getting this course in the sort of nick that we all want it to be, and I'm sure that they'll get it bang on come the President's Cup. A break. More to come here on Inside the Ropes. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Uh, lovely to have you with us. Uh, if anybody who's a regular listener of the program knows that Hazy's got his little stable of favourites. It's, in fact, it's an expanding, expanding stable of favourites. And... One of them is Doey Choi. We talked about her uh, recent successes in New Zealand on the show last week. And uh, I know that you've been working hard to get a couple of minutes out of Doey on this week's show. Well, she's down uh, grinding away at Kingston Heath Golf Club, Andy, but she's been good enough to spare us a couple of minutes of her time. Doey, welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Is it embarrassing that that you're one of my (laughs) favourites? No, that's good. <laughs> uh, there's worse places. If you have to grind away somewhere, there's worse places to be than Kingston Heath. Yeah. So you, you had a you had a great win. I know that. I think you told me that uh, you know perhaps wasn't your best golf, but winning a national championship, the New Zealand Amateur, um, a couple of weekends ago, that's a it's a great feather in your cap. Yeah, I mean, I didn't play that great the whole week, but. I just sort of grinded it out and I um, was really happy with my results. How big a part of the journey is that, Doey, winning or com- contending when you haven't got your best game going? Um, to be honest, I felt like I haven't played like that in a long time, but um, my mental part of the game is quite strong, so I just hung in there and um, played really um, well, throughout the end of the round, so yeah, I managed to grab the wind when I was down the whole day. Thirty-eight hole, Andy. That's how that's, you want to win that's these. How you, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Doey, tell <laughs> us about. I, I won't. We won't talk too much about that specific tournament, but tell us about the putt you hold on the thirty-sixth just to keep things going. Yeah, it was. I think it was like thirty-five feet. Um, I hadn't been putting good the whole week, so I was just a bit over it and I was like, oh, I'm just going to give this one a go because, I mean, I think the last nine holes I played quite well, so I just sort of got up there and hit it and it went in. (laughs) (laughs) That's the feeling when that happens. When you you know you've got to make something like that to keep the thing going, how how good good does that feel? Well, she had a pretty hard putt to square that hole and she – made a real clutch putt as well after me. So yeah, yeah. that was pretty impressive as well. So what's in front of you now? I mean, these are all, you know, sort of um, steps on the way to somewhere where you see yourself going. From here, what's next? What's in front of you now? Um, I think I'm going to stay amateur for another, I think, six to eight months. 
and hopefully go to Q School around August next year and see what happens there. So Q School for the LPGA Tour? Yeah. And are there a couple of amateur events that you're eyeing off, that you particular things that you want to achieve in your amateur career um, in, that, in that period that you've got left? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I'm going to play most of the events that I played um, this year and I had quite a successful summer here in, um, in Australia and I played quite well over in the US as well. So it would be nice to sort of keep that going and um, having a couple wins before I turn pro, that would be nice. <laughs> Do when, Joey, Joey, when you watch people who you've grown up playing with, um, you know, Grace Kim, for example, your state teammate, but also, um, you know, Gabby Ruffles, who you obviously played a little bit against as well. Yeah. Uh, and you pushed her all the way in that North and South final too, but in yeah. the, at, at Pinehurst. Um, when you see the those girls go on and have success, you know, the Youth Olympics or the US Amateur, does it mm. bug you? Does it drive you? What does it What does it do for for your mindset? Um, it doesn't really bug me. I mean, I'm quite close to a lot of the girls, so seeing their success is I'm very happy for them and um I know golf is like a individual game, but at the end of the day like we're all Aussies, so it's really good to see them doing well as well. Um so yeah, I think it's just more like a motivating thing, not um anything negative. I reckon I, I, knew, well. I knew you'd say something like that, and I reckon that really had to put a smile on Andy's oh, it's face. Perfect. Of course, that's that's exactly the way you want it to to act. Yeah. And and sure. Do, Doey, last year you mentioned you know your good summer, you had the chance to play a couple of ALPG events and and did really well in in some big scale yeah. pro events. Um, yeah. it, does that give you confidence that your games, you know, as you say, sort of nearly ready to take that next step? Yeah, I mean. Um, I played quite well in a few of the pro events earlier this year and um, hopefully I'll get to play in those same ones um, early next year and have a few um, good results and that will sort of help me um, before I turn pro closer to the end of next year. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot with one last question from me. Sure. (laughs) The uh, dates for the Women's Australian Open Championship have uh-huh. amazingly enough fallen on the same week. You're going to ask her this, aren't you? I am. Okay. I'm going to put her on the spot. Have amazingly enough fallen on the same week as the Women's Amateur Asia Pacific in Thailand next year. Um, presumably, you would, I mean, you definitely get a start in the, in the WARP. Mm-hmm. If you have to choose between playing the Women's Australian oh. Open and going to the WARP, where does the Choi head lie? Oh, I think it's pretty easy to say the women's open. Well, that puts a smile on Mark Hayes's face. <laughs> why is that in it? Why is that? In it? I, w- I wouldn't have thought that that necessarily would be an easy decision to make, Dowie. Well, why, why do you find that pretty straightforward? Um, it's probably the biggest women's um, pro event in Australia, and um. It's also the same week as my birthday. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the experience? And I played. You had the experience yeah, with I, Kari in that last year, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So I played earlier this year and I played really well for like the first nine holes of the event. 
And then I unfortunately missed the cut. So hopefully if I get a gig next year, then I can change that. <laughs> I reckon that does put the smile on a few faces on a few people who are pretty close to this recording studio right now. Don't. Hey, uh, good, good luck with everything. Um, we're we're going to keep – Hazy will make sure that the rest of us in the world of Australian golf know exactly what you're up to. Um, we're going to continue to watch your development. Um, enjoy the summer. Uh, and um, we'll look forward to having a chat to you if not before, between now and the end of 2019, sometime in 2020. Thanks for your time on the show again today. Thank you for having me. Good on you. Doe Choi joining us on Inside the Ropes. I think that's – I I love hearing that, Andy, Mm. as you intimated. And I've – there's – well, there's so many good things about that. And she's got the – you can sense that wave of young female talent coming through together. Mm. Um, Her New South Wales team um, at interstate level is pretty epic, to be honest. So – I'm glad they get another opportunity, presumably with her at the helm, to probably win another one next year. Mm. Um, and it's on home soil for the New South Wales girls, so that's great. Um, but, yeah, just head on her shoulders beautifully. Yeah. You know, she could have jumped at a million things at different stages in the last couple of years. She's got the results to back it up, but it's just doing what's right by all those looking after her in Sydney and, and, yeah. and Golf Australia as well. So, uh Great young talent. Can't yeah. wait to see where she goes. Oh, she sounds like a ripper. Um, so other bits and pieces, there's a whole lot of little things that we can um, tick off. So you mentioned Gabby Ruffles on the way through. Um, Latin America, Ryan. Yeah. Um, had another reason, after a slow start, he had a reasonable finish. Another just outside the top 20 over there in Argentina. Yeah, everything's really important. Everything's magnified mm. at the moment for Ryan. And he carded a 68 in the final round to move from 35th to 21st, mm. which in a, in and of itself is neither here nor there. He only picks up – he's under two grand he makes, but – Yeah, it, t- it took him towards $7,500 from the person ranked fifth on mm. the overall money list on the order of merit. So uh, every shot's critical here right now for Ruff. And again, just like last week we mentioned it, didn't crack the front page of the leaderboard, did enough to trouble the, the banker. Uh, and it's really important. Seven and a half thousand dollars behind number five. The top five get a card on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, he's got two events to go. Having said that, and I did a story on him this week on on golf.org.au. I rang him uh, in uh, where, what's the place, um, the bottom of Argentina where he was, uh, oh. uh, Patagonia. Right, yeah. He was in beautiful Patagonia, and he told me that um, by virtue of being in the top 10 at a cutoff date, which was the Peru Open a few weeks ago, he's guaranteed himself um, some starts on the Corn, Corn Ferry, Ferry Tour. Great. I think okay, so. Yep. He's, he's got a minimum number of starts already guaranteed. So yep. at this stage in his mind, he's not going back to play too much, if at all, in Latino next year. But he wants to make sure that his status is as high as it can be so mm. that he doesn't have to beg, borrow and steal for starts. So, okay, well, it's a great result for yeah. him. So we'll keep watching that in a couple of big weeks to come. A big weekend. We, we, you were talking a bit about and you're, the Gippsland Super Six. Mm-hmm. That's a big result for young Tom Powerhorn, who this gets him. This gets him to a next level in yeah. his young pro career, which, which is really important for these young players who are desperately trying to find a way in. Tom Powerhorn turned pro with zero fanfare a couple of years ago. Mm. And, He's a ripping young fella, so I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he was a fairly um, like nondescript mm. member compared to some of his, uh, I guess, bigger name Victorian teammates when he did that. Um, didn't have all the pathways open up for him. 
didn't have status on the Australian PGA Tour. Um, and he's gone out and he's won in your lawn in brutal weather. A three round event was one where it was knocked down, wasn't it? Yeah, three, I don't know. Congrats to the Australian PGA for getting that through. I don't know how they did that logistically. Um, but he, yeah, Thomas Powell and just a um, a great result. Kickstarts his world rankings. Yep. Get, more importantly, gives him status. He, he'll play the big events coming up. The New South Wales Open, I think, will be his next in the Aussie Open and, uh, and also uh, the Australian PGA Championship as well. So... That's this year. He gets his card for next year. And if he continues to develop the way he clearly is, uh, the door's open for him now. He's got to start. He's away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he. Other end of the spectrum, Dave McKenzie finishes tied uh, top 30. In the, Was that the final event of the year on the Champions Tour? I think it, I th- yeah, think it, it might have been. Yeah, so McCarran wins the Charles Schwab Cup. <laughs> but, but for Dave McKenzie, he had three top 10s this year. One of those was a runner-up. Finished 36 on the money list. I haven't looked to see how much he's actually picked up, but uh, I suspect that it's a serious chunk of loot for Dave McKenzie. So, you know, we're focusing on players. You know, we've spoken about Tom Powhor and Ryan Ruffle, spoken to Dowie Choi. But at the other end of the spectrum, there's still some really competitive golf being played. Um, Jeff Maggot beats Retief Goose in, in that tournament. Langer and Montgomery finishing tied four. So the names are all there. These are Hall of Fame type names that are in the mix. And Dave McKenzie's still proving himself competitive against those players at the pointiest end of the old boys game. So uh, I reckon he's still getting better. Oh, he's certainly not getting any worse. No, he is not trained off one iota. No, no. And you know, it's funny, isn't it? For all of the um, uh, you know competitiveness and talent that he had you know, in his regular pro career, this might be where he's where he fits best. He, he might find yep. post fifty for that for that for that golden sort of summer that you get from say fifty one to fifty seven, fifty eight, fifty nine, sixty, whatever it you know reveals itself to be for some of these players. These might be the salad days for someone like Dave McKenzie. Yeah, well, I don't reckon his uh, bank balance reflects how good a player he was during his yep. regulation years, primarily in Australia. As we said, his game may still well be trending up uh, where others is. Relative to what, the blokes he's playing against. Oh, definitely yeah, against yeah, them. Yeah. But he might tell you he's even a better player now than he was you know, back in the day. Mm. Um, maybe not in terms of pure ball striking, but in terms of getting in the hole just as quickly. Uh, um, and relative to the other you know, other guys oh, yeah, that yeah. he grew up with, he's now he's bloody good. Jake Higginbotham tied 14 over in Thailand. Uh, so that's a, a better result for him. We haven't really been... I keep an eye on the Asian tour. We haven't really been sticking our nose as a collective in the frame in Asia for a little while now. It's time for a couple of those boys, I reckon, to, um, you know, if they can. I'm not sure they're all desperately trying, so I'm not <laughs> accusing them of anything, but, you know, wholehearted. But we need a couple of the boys over in Asia just to start really sort of putting their, you know, putting their foot down and making a mark on that tour, I reckon. Yeah, it's I'm a good looking... breeding ground for Australian golfers up there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting at some stage in our – you know, upcoming episodes with uh, players like Travis Smythe and, mm, and yeah, Zach, exactly. Zach Murray, just yep. to see, you know, how that tour is shaping up and and, and how they're shaping up. Mm, really, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Rory made a bit of history this week. Are you aware of this? No. Rory became Rory spent his 500th week inside the top 10 of the official right? world golf records. He yeah. now becomes the youngest player ever to do so. That's amazing. So he was four. He did it. He was four months younger than Tiger when Tiger spent his 500th week inside the top 10 
uh, he became the previous youngest. So Rory knocks Tiger. That's amazing. Off a leaderboard, off a his, historical leaderboard, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. It really is. 500 weeks inside the top 10. <laughs> Before you turn 30. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, any final word? Um, I think, is he 30 yet or not? Oh, is he, I think he, he might have just gone 30. Oh, is he? I think he might have, oh, yeah. Apologize. He didn't invite me to his birthday. No, no, so. nor me. Um, but we'll get there. We'll get to his 40th. Any final words that you want to, uh, before you polish off your bits and pieces, any final words you want to make on the President's Cup captain's picks? Yeah, I was, a bit, uh, I was a bit surprised. I thought Ricky Fowler was sort of immoral. I, I didn't have him missing. Tiger said that uh, it was the hardest call he made. He didn't reference a another call. Mm. He said that he made a few, um, but he only specifically mentioned uh, Ricky. So, if Brooks Kepka were to uh, suffer, a, a, you know, well, through a, a rehab that wasn't as successful as he hopes, I would imagine that we'll see Ricky Fowler here. But I was surprised because he picked guys who were good in the locker room in um, Tony Finau, yeah, and Gary Woodland. Gary Woodland. Yeah. Um, Patrick that he, Reed. That he then went. <laughs> that he then went for Patrick Reed. Um, it, it, not you know we've we've said our piece on Patrick Reed in the past. Yep. Um, he's a different mould to the other guys. So he's you know he's picked people from different spheres of you know mm. what we believe to be. So just an update on Fowler. He's pulled out this week, Mykoba. He's got some intestinal infection. So he's not he's not well this week, Ricky Fowler. So you know we'll continue to watch. It's getting closer now. Like it's. Yeah, these are fine tuning weeks, and we now don't know what the team looks like. So can, there's can, no more playing for spots. Can you imagine if you're Tiger Woods and you've overlooked a heap of people, including Phil Mickelson, for the, one of these oh, yeah. picks? Oh, yeah. It all comes crumbling down, and Brooks Kepka doesn't make it, and Ricky Fowler's unavailable, mm-hmm. and whatever else. You've got to pick up the phone and call Filthy Phil. <laughs> How do you reckon you'd go if you're uh, Eldrick? That'd be tough. I reckon he might try and find one or two others before he makes that call. <laughs> hey, what, what about you on the international yeah, side? Yeah, look. Well, I'm glad. Well, Day had to get in. Neiman picks himself. Sung J.M., you know, just super talent. So I think those three, the fourth one became a bit, I, I, Eric Van Rooyen played it well again in Europe this weekend. I would have, I reckon he's just, he feels like he's on the on the cusp, yeah. this bloke. So I would have probably picked him. But it seems like they came down to a battle between the two Canadians. Mm. Hadwin gets it. When you have a look at the recent form, we go back 10, 11, 12 starts um, for both Hadwin and Corey Connors. Good luck making a call. Good luck making a call. Oh, yeah. So so Adam Hadwin, four top 10s in his last 11 starts. I missed two cuts, I reckon. Corey Connors missed one cut in his last 10, but hasn't finished outside the top 27 in any other event. Wow. So he's been super – a bunch of top 20s, a couple of top 10s. The it is very much a. Oh, it's got to be based on a personal call, I reckon, because yeah. the form line between those two, weighing up Hadwin v Connors, is very, very t- so marginal. It's so tough to make a call between those two. That's really tough. I didn't realise that Connors had had such an imposing Not, record. Neither did I until I had a look at it tonight. Yeah, yeah. I, my gut feel is that if you picking between two really similar people, you'd probably pick the younger one because of the upside factor. Um, so maybe in that case, Corey Connors can mm. feel himself a little bit hard done by. But Adam Hadwin's a good player. He is a good player. He's probably been a good player for a bit longer. Yeah. So I reckon there's probably something a bit more bankable. He's probably a bit more even. He's not going to get fizzy. You hope mm. he's not going to get fizzy under the 
bright lights and up against, you know, he's played probably against these guys for a bit longer. Yeah. So he shared ranges with them and he, they're not, he's not going to be overly um, sort of rattled by you know, rubbing shoulders with some of those Americans. So. And maybe just maybe because Sung Jae Im turned 21 on the day that he was picked or the day the announcement was made. Yeah. And uh, um, I think... Oh, mate, sorry, that was Joachim Neiman. And Sung Jae yep. Im has already just turned 21. So in two, picking two 21-year-olds, maybe thought Connors was a step Good too call. far. The, it's already the youngest team ever fielded in the President's Cup. So average age just on 29, the internationals. That it's, is young. When you, when you consider, you know, Oosthuizen and Scott mm. and mm. all those guys mm. at the end of it, um, it's pretty remarkable. Anything else before we wrap it up? Yeah. Yeah, Andy, and as promised uh, earlier in the show, I just want to touch base with the European Tour Q School results. Um, some really encouraging efforts in the second stage of Q School by uh, a lot of Aussie guys. Yep. Four different venues around Spain. Um, firstly and foremostly, I suppose, because he's got the chocolates, Blake Windred had a win, um, which is awesome. And he's really, it's his probably second or third start as a, as a pro. Uh, had a, The wind was brutal. Had a seventy six in his closing round and still won by five shots. Gosh, so he was he was his awesome. first three rounds were next level. Yeah. I was told. So yeah. he, Nick Flanagan, and Jordan Zunick. So all the three regional um, New South Wales guys all advanced out of that one. Um, we didn't. We saw Kyle Michelle miss out at another venue. Mm. And I think you might have an update on the yeah. couple of venues that Ale- were finished today. Yeah, Alicante. So your mate Dan Lawson uh, tied four. He's gone through. Uh, Jared Felton and Ben Ferguson tied tenth. Uh, they've gone through. Unfortunately, a few miss. Cullen, uh, Endicott and Gale all missed there. And Taragosa was the other one that we're... There's a little bit of doubt about um, Ben Eccles at this stage. Dave Michaluzzi's got through tied fifth, yeah, so that's, that's a great good. result for him. Eccles was tied 19. Now, I'm not sure whether you know yeah. whether it's top 20s go through. When we were looking it up before we started the show, um, there was unfinalized results. He's sitting on T19 with two or three other guys. And I yeah. think it's either 19 or 20 that go through, but there's no cutoff line that's been made. Like there's yeah, the other ones. Yeah. There's normally a line when it says it's the playoffs yeah. been run and won. Uh, so we will have to double check. I apologize to the Eccles family for not oh, having done enough well, research. I'm sure they probably know. They probably, they probably know. know, but we'll bring you up to date with that. Um, Next week, yeah. uh, Warren and Collier miss out, unfortunately. Yeah. And so. they all, all those guys who advance, as Andy mentioned there, they all go to the next stage, which is also in Spain, a six-round grueling slog. It's tough, isn't it's it? brutal. Yeah. Um, but we've got so many guys there. Um, hopefully, we get a few more Aussies on the on the big tour next year. Hee <laughs> hee. Uh, that's it. Um, enjoy your golf uh, between now and then. Uh, the Australian Open, not too far away. A heap of stuff to look forward to. Uh, in and around that, and of course the President's Cup, we're all gearing up to that. This has been Inside the Robes, episode number 128. Thanks for being part of it. We'll speak to you next week.